Okay, what a privilege it is to be here and what fantastic worship songs we had this morning. Thank you, Andy, wherever you are. They were just so good. I kind of thought, well, this is just saying all that we need to hear. So brilliant. Thank you for that. Right, I'm going to start with, let me find the right pages. I'm going to start just by reading something from Isaiah and it's something which you're probably familiar with if you've been in church a while. And it's a passage which is prophetic of our wonderful, amazing Saviour, Jesus. So I'm going to read this to you. And if you can just, while I read it, quieten your heart and just ask God to speak to you um, afresh through his word and through the things that I share with you. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet, yet, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Wow, just reading that again, and I've been in it quite a lot this week, just underlines again the incredible gift that Jesus is to us as humanity. And that is going to be kind of the central point that we're looking at today. But our question is, why is there so much suffering in the world? Or why suffering? It's probably the most commonly cited objection to having faith, okay? So a lot of people will say lots of things about why they think there can't be a God or this isn't real. It's just, no, that can't be true because of all the suffering. They'll always go back to that point of suffering. How can there be such awful stuff happening in the world? We need to see this morning how Christianity stands up to that accusation because we need to be able, when we're speaking with people out there, people in here perhaps, you may be people here who aren't familiar with the ideas that Christianity has about suffering and about the purpose of suffering in our lives and how God can allow it. Well, I hope this morning some of the things that we share will just 
really soften your heart and just help you to see that there is an answer. We haven't got all the answers, but we have got some answers, and they are incredible. So as Christians, we need a greater confidence when we're talking with people. We need to be able to say, yes, I understand, and not just launch in with our own kind of ideas or just think, oh, well, you're not, you're not open to hearing what I'm going to say. Um, always keep the conversation open if you can. And also this morning, there may be that you feel that, that you need to kind of just, well, this, this has just brought up some stuff that I've kind of pushed to the background. Well, if that's the case, then we can offer um, opportunities for prayer and for, for just praying for God's healing over those areas of your lives. But I reiterate, there aren't any easy answers, but there are some amazing ideas that we have about Jesus and about how he steps into our world. So our plan for the talk is, what do people say? Why is there so much suffering in the world? Um, and then we're going to look on some of the Christian answers to suffering. What does the Bible say? And our response to suffering, what should we do? And that's where I want to really kind of um, spend most of the time this morning. So the prob problem of suffering, some, pe some things people say. God wouldn't create a world with evil in it. Okay, so this is something that was written down by some philosopher 300 years before Jesus. Um, so because he said that God wouldn't create a world with evil in it, and there is evil in the world, therefore there can't be a God. Okay. I mean, there's all kinds of problems that we can talk about with that. And if you want to get into the philosophy of these things, and again, I, I went down sev several kind of um, rabbit warrens in my thinking with these, like, what do I need to talk about? What do I need to say? Okay, there's, there's lots, of, lots of good books, and I can, again, give you a list of things if you really want to get into this. Okay, but what people surmise from that is, oh, God can't be real. Suffering is meaningless. It doesn't really exist. Um, some of our, um, some of the people who follow other religions might actually come to that conclusion. Well, it, it's meaningless. If you reach the point of enlightenment, then really, it just you're just above it, and it really doesn't impact you in any way at all. It just doesn't exist. Suffering isn't real. God can't be good and kind to let this bad stuff happen. Therefore, God doesn't care. God might be good and kind, but he has no power to help. God is powerless. God doesn't see it. He doesn't know. He's checked out of the universe he made. Therefore, God is blind or absent. The problem with these things is that even if you say, well, I'm going to believe all of those, I'm just going to like, check out myself from the idea of faith, you're actually in no better position <laughs> You know, you're going to stand there and think, okay, so where now? Where do I go with this incredible sense of loneliness and abandonment that I feel that actually I'm on my own now? I've got nowhere to go with those, with those questions not answered. However, we need to understand that this is a huge opportunity. We have Christ and his cross central, so we are able to walk into the world and bring hope. And that is our purpose in this world. We are hope bringers. The answers we have and struggle with are for us and the world around us. I had an example of this recently. Some of you know um, my mum had a stroke three years ago, and she's been in a wheelchair ever since. And um, she's 80, my dad's 80, and he looks after her, and they have a couple of people from their church who come in and help as well as carers. But it's a, it's a huge deal for them. And recently in, in school, I was... I can't remember why, maybe we were talking about this topic, but anyway, this came up, and it, I was with a particular class that's been quite a challenge this year. I seem to talk about that a lot when I stand up here, don't I? Um, but this particular class, um, 
I just kind of felt, and sometimes you, you get this when you're with people, you just need to edge into a place that's a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit, you're talking about something that actually you wouldn't necessarily have planned or you wouldn't have put it on your lesson plan or you wouldn't have said, oh, that's the conversation I'm going to have over the, at the coffee um, station this morning at work. But actually you just sort of sense, and that's the spirit just saying to you, it's okay, you can talk about this, it's a safe space now, now is the moment. And that's what I did. I, I said to this class, I said, well, this is something that, you know, my family have struggled with a bit, always been in church, they've always trusted God, they're good people, and, and then this happens to mum, and, and you sort of think of all the things they wanted to do in their lives as, as they get older together, and long walks, and all the rest of it, and it's not happening. And, and I talked around it a little bit. I said, but, you know, they have the hope of heaven, and we just, I just talked around that for a bit, and, you know, that's... They, 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 that's their, very much their attitude to it, um, even though the day-to-day -day stuff is hard. Um, and, you know, the, the class was quiet, and it was nearly the end of the, the lesson, and uh, we packed everything away. And then two children who never really say anything in the class um, stayed behind. And, um, one, you know, it's, it's really interesting, the dynamic that happens, because one will sort of stand next to you at, at the desk and the other will sort of give the other one some space because they're very aware of all that sort of thing the other one stands about six feet away and you know pretending to look at a display on the wall or something and um and this one says um miss can i just say thank you so much for saying what you said about your mum and by the way i hope she does get better and i said oh oh thank you so much and i kind of looked at him in that sort of way <laughs> and he just said it's just that that happened to my dad recently. I mean, he had a stroke, but it's not, a ser it's not as serious as your mum's. But I haven't told anybody in school because I, I don't want people to just to be over the top with their sympathy. But it really helped to know that I could just say, t say this to you now and that you're somebody that knows now and you know exactly what it's like. And I was like, you know? So I just said, thank you so much for sharing that. How is, and we just talked a little bit around how his dad is now, and he is making a good recovery, which is great. But, wow, thank you, Lord, for just giving me that nudge. And so he went off for his break, and then the, the girl stepped up, and she just, she just said, oh, she said, it sounds exactly what, like what's happened to my nan. And, and she talked about her nan having had a stroke. And, and I was like, Lord, you know, this is just in one class of 25 kids. You've just opened that moment up. And these are two children that never say anything normally in class, really quiet, just studious, gets on with it, but just very happy to talk about it. But remember that what I'd said was I talked not just about the difficulty of suffering, but the hope of eternity. And it's like, whoa, what, what seeds? Again, like we've been talking with the Holiday Club, what seeds have been planted in those kids' minds? It's amazing. So we do, what we do with this question is crucial to our perception of God. It's crucial to our perception of how we handle things in the world around us and what we do. So what are the Christian answers to suffering? What does the Bible say? Firstly, God is real. Okay, we're answering the thing of God isn't real. And in Hebrews 6, it talks, uh, sorry, Hebrews 11, it talks about he will, if you seek him, he, he, he will be found by you. He's the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. It's not just like, oh, I said, hey, God, one day, and he didn't answer. It's like you have to be deliberate. You have to be intentional if you want to find God. We are loved by God. Psalm 27, 11, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. I had specifically that verse in my mind when I was preparing this. It came, it dropped in. I had a different verse, but I just feel that is a specific verse for somebody here this morning, that if your father and mother have forsaken you, have, have abandoned you, have let you go for some reason, the Lord will take you up. 
He will take you up. He has come to rescue us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He suffers with us and for us. Isaiah 53, we read the whole of it. He is with us. Emmanuel, Matthew 1, he is with us. Jesus comes to earth. God with us. What an incredible idea that is. What an incredible truth that is. So, one of the major books that people always refer to when they talk about um, suffering is the book of Job. And um, there's a wonderful thing called The Bible Project. I don't know if some of you have found it on YouTube. Um, But I'm now going to look at the techie guys. We're going to hopefully see a two-minute clip of um, Job when he's... All this rubbish stuff, he's a good man, all this rubbish stuff has happened to him. With God's permission, it's happened to him. And he's raged at God, and all his friends have said, oh, you must have done something wrong. And then Job basically says, come on, God, I need you, to, you, you've, you need to answer for this. You need to answer for this. And hopefully that's the point at which we'll, we'll watch this. Hypothetical sins dog. Job demands defends his innocence. And Job is innocent. He is. He's also on an emotional roller coaster. At some moments, he's very confident that God is still wise and just. Yeah, in other moments, he's doubting God's goodness. He even comes to accuse God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person. And God does so. He comes in the form of a great storm cloud. Now, God doesn't give Job a direct answer. He doesn't tell Job about the conversation with the Satan. Yeah, he does something very different. He takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He shows Job how grand the world is, and he asks him if he's even capable of running it or understanding it just for a day. He shows Job how much detail there is in the world, things that we might see every day but really don't understand at all. But God does. He knows it all intimately. He pays attention to the beauty and operations of the universe in ways that we haven't even imagined and in places that we will never see. Then to conclude, God shows Job two wondrous beasts and brags about how great they are. Yeah, they are dangerous. I mean, they would kill you without even thinking about it. And God says they're not evil. They're actually a part of his good world. And then that's it. That's God's whole defense. It's kind of weird. I mean, what was this all about? It seems to be this. From Job's point of view, it looks like God is not just. But God's perspective is infinitely bigger. He's dynamically interacting with a whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And this is what God calls his wisdom. So Job asking God to defend himself is actually kind of absurd. He couldn't comprehend this kind of complexity even if he wanted to. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves Job in a place of humility. He never learned why he suffered, and yet he's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. Thanks. That was amazing, guys. Um, There is a little bit more if you want to look it up. It's easy to find the Bible Project. Fantastic resource. Um, Basically, Job learns to let God be God, and that means he has to relinquish his desire to understand 
And that's the hard thing for us in the West, you know, where we're taught to understand and, you know, everything, work it out. There must be a reason. If it doesn't make sense, it isn't real. That kind of challenging stuff. Actually, sometimes things don't make sense, but they still are real. God is on the throne. He maps out the universe. I just wanted you to see those visuals. I think they're great. But we need to relinquish our right to understand. What a challenge. Some of you will know the story of Eric Liddell, the Olympic runner turned missionary who died in a Japanese um, prisoner of war camp. This is what he said. Circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. God is not helpless among the ruins. Whether moral evil or natural disaster, God is not helpless among the ruins. So what does he do? Let's move on to talking about Jesus. Jesus is more than a great moral teacher. He's more than a rule bringer. And this is where people really kind of insult who he is, where they say, oh yes, well, all, all his, his ideas are great. Yes, they are great, but there's so much more than that. And actually, if you come to Christianity and you just say, here's Christianity, it's all about some rules and loving people and sacrificial living and all that, you've really missed the whole point because the whole point is the person of Jesus. The whole point is Jesus. He steps into our mess. To remove suffering, evil and death, he actually has to take that onto himself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you can see I've been reading this great stuff, um, wrote this again when he was um, in, in prison before being executed in, in World War II. God is weak and powerless in the world and that is precisely the way the only way in which he is with us and helps us. Here is the decisive difference between Christianity and all religions. Man's religion makes him look in his distress to the power of God in the world. In other words, if a, man is in, a person is in distress, they're looking for, come on God, come, come in, I'm gonna wheel, I need you to be wheeled in right now to help me because <laughs> I'm in this crisis. You know, the whole thing, oh, I've never prayed before, but I prayed and, oh, you know. And that, that's good. It's good when people do that. We don't want to stop people from praying, obviously. But man's religion makes him look in his distress to the power of God in the world. But the Bible, Bonhoeffer says, directs man to God's powerlessness and suffering. Only the suffering God can help. Maybe. Why suffering? Why is there so much suffering in the world? What are we going to do about it? This maybe needs to be the thing we remember. Only the suffering God can help. The God of the Bible wins power and space in the world by his weakness. So what do we, what do, we do about that now? What responses to suffering should we have? We need to accept that we won't understand everything. We've already said that. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the supreme example of suffering. So what did Jesus do in his moments of greatest suffering? Let's just think about the prayers that he prayed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Mother, here's your son. John, here's your mother. I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. Have a look at those that I've put up on the screen there. In his moments of greatest suffering, he prayed real prayers. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's okay. God can handle it. 
<laughs> he really can, remember? He created the universe and he's very, very interested in each one of us individually. He loves us, he knows us, he's passionate about us. And he can handle if we want to use him as a kind of battering ram for our verbal kind of angst about whatever is going wrong. Father, forgive them. Forgive people. Learn to let go. Sometimes you have to actually go through the pain of what somebody did to you. And I know you've done the Freedom in Christ course here before, but one of the, the steps on that, step three, forgiveness, is, is all about, um, Father, I choose to forgive. And then you say the person's name. Four, and then you say what they did. And then this is the most crucial thing where you say, which made me feel. And it's at that point that you connect with the anger and the hurt and the pain and the suffering that they've caused you. And that's where, you know, you can need lots of tissues, perhaps, to get through that. Father, forgive. And then you can pray a blessing over that person. Today you will be with me in paradise. So bring hope to others who are suffering. Bring hope to others who are suffering. He looked after his mother as the oldest boy in a Jewish family. It was his, his right, it was his responsibility to make sure that he looked after his mother as she got older. He knew he wasn't going to be there to do that. What a poignant moment. He's looking down at Mary and John, who he knows the disciples that Jesus had a special affinity with, and he just says, Right, here you go. You're for each other now. Please look after each other. I thirst. Be real. If you've got physical needs, speak them out. I need some sleep now. I'm just so tired of it. I just need to sleep. I need, uh, hang on, I just need to stop and rehydrate. Know, know when your job is done. It is finished. And Father, into your hands, I commit your spirit. Trust God right up until the very, very end. The last minute, the last breath, trust God. So, where does that leave us now? Cross-shaped living. I've <laughs> when we were on holiday last week, we, um, we were in Wales and in the Black Mountains. And some of you who um, love that area may know there's a, a priory called Hlantony Priory. Double L at the front. Do you appreciate the pronunciation there? Hlantony. Okay, don't sit too close on the front row. because. <laughs> um, and we climbed up to the top of Offa's Dyke, which runs along at the edge there. And we climbed to the top and we could see the priory from above. And I was kind of looking, because I'm fascinated by these ancient um, religious buildings where you've got the shape of, you're meant to have, or this visible, the shape of the cross. Okay, so you know most churches, Anglican churches, etc., are built on the shape of the cross. And if you um, did a Google search, aerial view of um, churches, you'll, you'll see some of them. And um, so I was looking down at the priory and just kind of saying, well, where's the, where's the cross shape here? And because, to be honest, like most priories in this um, country that were built at a particular time, it, a lot of it has just fallen down. It's just demolished. There's just grass in between the walls and um, there's no roof or anything. And you could just about, just about make out the the actual cross shape, very nice cellar bar, which is where we had a couple of meals, um, tiny place. And um, yeah, and then 
there's a, there's another building nearby and um, trees sort of growing up around and it was really hard to see the, the shape of the cross and I was just thinking you know it would be really good if we as believers in Jesus could actually say our lives should be totally visible as a cross shaped life so what that means is it means that we give ourselves in the way that Jesus gave himself for the world that's such a huge challenge and I I'm continuing being challenged by this now just thinking Jesus says to his disciples before he's crucified I mean he said you're gonna have to take up your cross and follow me and I don't know where in the West we've got this idea that we need to have a, a nice, cosy Christian life, that everything's going to work out nice for us all the time. And if it doesn't, then it must be our fault or uh, our theology can't quite handle it. So we just kind of sing some louder songs and, and just hope it all goes away one day. No, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And we know where he went with that cross. We know where it was going. What a thought. But before that, he says to his disciples, before he takes up his cross, literally, he says to his disciples, we're going to the garden now. We're going to the garden of Gethsemane. This is the, as he's about to be betrayed. I need you to come with me and I need you to watch with me. That doesn't mean just to sort of sit with him. He, that means watching and praying. It means being with him, just feeling the pain that, of that moment that he was in. And this is a totally new thought for me this week. And I, again, I've got Dietrich Bonhoeffer to thank for it, but it's, it's huge as far as I understand it. Jesus does exactly the same thing for us today. He says, could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not take it on your... You are in the world now. You've got my spirit in you. Your job now is to look and see where there is need, where there is suffering, Take it on yourself in the same way that I did. Watch with me. Enter into the suffering that I feel when I look at this broken world. It's such a powerful, powerful thought. God made himself radically available to the world and suffered for it. We as his people, the church, become radically available to the world too and suffer for it. Now, we might not suffer too much in this country and in the West, but we don't have to, you know... we. You know about the persecuted church. You know, every day there are hundreds of Christians being killed around the world because they love Jesus. This kind of a meeting is not possible. It's kind of a gathering. It's not possible for millions of our brothers and sisters around the world. Even just for them, we should be watching. We should be praying. We should be entering into their suffering with God who suffers with them. We need to remember there is no resurrection without the cross. You know, we want a resurrected, we want the victorious life. We all want that. And there's nothing wrong with wanting that. But we really, really need to understand what our place is in this. So the paradox of the surrendered life, cross-shaped living... We just need to look at Jesus, keep our eyes fixed on him. Our lives are filled with such public demonstrations of outward superficial appearance that if we don't master the inner self, then we become just mere shadows of what we were born to be. The surrender of the silent inner life that happens in the secret place, yes, before God in private devotion but also before humanity and our daily goings-on, brings greater internal joy and liberty than anything derived from self-centered living. 
So it's a daily taking up of our cross, understanding the sufferings of Jesus. Christ-centered living, living with the cross as our focus, our shape, is what we're called to do. And as the priory is shaped like a cross, it's hard to see that because of the other sections that were added, and things that have overgrown. Our lives can become warped, convoluted versions of the singular message we were called to live out. Bolted on bits of self, disfiguring the purity and simplicity of the arms spread, life laid down, surrendered life, hinder us and our work. So this morning I went for a walk by the river, as I normally do, and I just said to the Lord, what do you, how do you want me to finish this talk? Because it's kind of like, oh gosh, I've just put a big weight on everybody, um, except to say that we have Jesus with us, and what an incredible privilege, what an incredible privilege to have his spirit living in us. And I just felt God say, I need people to have a physical thing to do to kind of remind themselves Okay, so um, I'm going to ask you to stand up, please. Don't worry, it's not going to be anything scary at all. Rich, can you just pass my jacket? Putting on the jacket wasn't anything other than I'm beginning to feel a bit shivery, okay? (laughs) There's no symbolism there, okay? Just, it's like, just like, oh gosh, right, what what does that symbolise? Okay, Um, so what I was thinking was, I I stood by the river and I thought, it's weird, isn't it? Um, I just felt I wanted to put my hands up in the air and say, God, you are great and I love you, okay? And I just want to worship you and just say, yeah, God, you're God. You're amazing and you're here with me. So can we just do that for a moment like this? Yes, Lord, thank you. And as we just concentrate on you, we just want to worship you and say, you are great, you are up there, but you're also here. You're in this place. You love us, you sent your son, and we just bless you and love you for that. God, we're just going to pray in a second and ask you to help us. Now, if you can, and you'll need to be a bit careful with this, spread out your arms in the shape of a cross, please. Okay, this is where we remind ourselves that we are committed to cross-shaped living. That we remember that Jesus suffered, suffered, suffered for us. And we say... Lord, help us to go out, to not pretend to have easy answers or to be glib. Help us to step into your world, to watch with you and to help and to pray and to serve your world by living a crucified life. And now if we can just put our hands out in front of us. Fill us, renew us, empower us. And just sense the Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit 
is another like Jesus. He is who Jesus promised. We just say, Holy Spirit, help us to live out your life. Make us sensitive to your world. Help us love the way you've asked us to. to imagine stretching out your hand ready to say this is Jesus I'd like to introduce you to Jesus Jesus loves you Jesus died for you whatever suffering whatever difficulties you have he will come alongside you and imagine yourself Introducing your friend at work to Jesus as you reach out your hand in love and kindness and gentleness. And I know some of you are thinking of people now that you work with, or people that are you're studying with. God's just dropped that into your heart and you just need to take on the burden of watching and praying for that person with Jesus. Thank you.